Hello. Welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host and producer of the show, Cal Goodbaum, broadcasting from Rocking Chair Studio in Toronto. Hope you enjoy the show wherever you are. Thanks for listening, leaving a review on iTunes, and sharing the show with your friends. In episode 26, Haunted Theatres, I shared some stories about the investigation into the Orpheum Theatre conducted by the Vancouver Paranormal Society, headed by Peter Wren. Those stories were part of a longer conversation we had, and this episode, you'll get to hear more of our discussion. Peter was adamant that I present a true look into the explanations for many ghost sightings that are less than supernatural. The fact is, when presenting a show about true stories of the supernatural, I'm always searching for some kind of explanation, some regular cause. When I can't explain anything, I'll definitely share the story. That doesn't mean it's 100% guaranteed bona fide, but interesting or convincing enough that I think we all should hear it. I definitely can't explain some of the haunted stories in this show. I'll be talking to a guest from previous episodes, such as the first haunted school episode from last season. Coogan and Julia will be sharing their pretty phenomenal experiences exploring in the abandoned ghost town of Altona, Ontario. But first, here's my phone call with Peter from Vancouver. When you talk about scientific evidence, do you look for mostly electromagnetic disturbance? No. Because, uh, say for instance, I'm on an investigation and that EMF made a spike. It went up, say, megajoules, a few megajoules, stuff like that. That could be almost anything. That could be a power line outside. It could be a surge in electricity somewhere. It could be a faulty ground with the electricity as well. Because those factors are not controlled, we tend not to use the EMF. Like, the only time we're using EMF is when we're going and doing our base readings around a house. So we could look for... You know, obviously look for natural reasons why people are experiencing paranormal. What are some of those natural reasons? EMF. Uh-huh. I'm a gas engineer by trade, sorry, plumber. Uh, I look for carbon monoxide as well. The asbestos, you get like cracks in foundations and stuff like that. That can cause a hallucination as well. I don't want to be disrespectful to anyone that's out there or anything like that, but no one knows about carbon monoxide because it's never, it's never advertised on TV. Everyone generates their wisdom from watching TV shows. And they don't know the true factors of what can actually cause paranormal experiences. Well, what people would deem as paranormal experiences, that kind of thing. Telltale signs, visual checks on gas appliances, stuff like that. And if there's like a black phone on the outside of it, whether it's a hot water tank or whether it's a gas fire, uh, that's usually signs of incomplete combustion. The appliance is spilling carbon monoxide into the premises. What I learned as a gas fitter is uh, the best way of testing your gas appliances, if you don't have a carbon monoxide tester, is to actually put a mirror, not actually on top of a burner or anything like that, but you know, like the burner plate, you go in front of your hot water tank, the little hole, if you just stick a mirror over the top of that, and if it fogs up, it's spilling fumes into the dwelling. It's good for people to know. A lot of people do have these experiences. They're afraid to reach out to anyone like you because they're afraid of 
being laughed at in large part or mostly of other people finding out they contacted a paranormal investigator or whoever and then laughing at them and just the general kind of stigma around it probably people live in situations where this may be happening and don't say anything about it well it 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 is and people people are scared because they uh it's one of the saving graces i guess there's a lot of downsides to it but there's also a lot of good sides to like tv shows ghost hunters or ghost adventures and stuff like that it you know it gives people an idea that there are people out there that do this and that they're willing to help as well but on the bad side of it the the tv show kind of create this kind of ghost hunting mentality rather investigational kind of mentality where they just go in there and uh you know they go into old buildings and they break in or they've got pieces of equipment and they have no idea what the parameters are on these pieces of equipment I don't know how they operate. I'm just for a poor example, why that K2 meat was flashing. I don't know. They they just think it's a ghost. You know, it could be anything. It could be uh, RF radio frequencies. It could be, you know, a, a surging power somewhere. It could be no grounded electrical. That kind of thing. Have you ever had a time where any of your equipment personally was malfunctioning in a way which you couldn't explain? I've had battery drain to the point where the whole team was in one room and every single battery-powered piece of equipment we had, from camcorders to K2 meters and stuff like that, all of our batteries died all at once. It wasn't cold in there, so we couldn't put it down to that factor or anything like that. It was just a total mystery. I'm not saying it was paranormal, it was just weird. So recently I was speaking with a guy named Coogan and his friend Julia. And Julia has certain psychic intuitions, so she goes around for fun to places. And Coogan, because of his hobbies, he ends up going to a lot of old places. His family was, uh, would um, clear out buildings and stuff, and they would sometimes, you know, get the items and he collects old things. And near him is a ghost town... And he's claimed that the whole region around there has really interesting haunting. And now is the perfect time to share some of those spooky stories I was alluding to. I sat down with Coogan and Julia at Ryerson University to hear about their experiences. So this is like last year, like 2017. So we were there with my best friend since like teenhood, his friend and... Well, him, Coogan, and two of us decided to go exploring, and two of them decided to stay in the car, which is Coogan and um, our friend. At first it was fine, like, we were just fooling around making jokes about the gods are angry because it started to rain and stuff, like, we were just joking. And then I started, like, feeling, like, in my chest, like, something kind of, like, tightening. I get, like, a sense of when I'm, like, kind of in pending danger. I just know. Which is why, like, a few days before something bad happens, I get super anxious about everything because I just know when something's about to happen. And then suddenly I, like, feel something. I look at Rocco and, like, there's something over there because I see, like, this dark figure because there's two sides of the house. So there's one side which is nearby, like, a cornfield that's kind of brighter and the other side's, like, more of a forest and it's very dark over there. And I see this dark figure, like, kind of looking at me. And Rocco didn't see it, but, like, I did. And then I, like, heard this thing it was kind of like this weird moaning sound and i was like oh my god so i like run away even though i was in like a boot at the time because i just sprained my ankle and i was a ton of pain i just 
dashed. Adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, I just like yeah. dashed away, and I'm not a runner, so it was just. And you know, this wasn't at night. This was, it was still sun up. Yeah, it was yeah. maybe like seven o'clock uh, in the middle, of, like the summer. So it's still pretty light out at that point. Didn't you mention you saw something from the car? Yeah, I, I was sitting in the car when uh, when this all happened, parked in front of the school, and then as you know, I, I hear a bit of commotion going on, and I look over and I happen to see in that area where you know she was kind of standing, there seemed to be a a very large black void that was maybe eight feet tall. So I bring a lot of folks to the schoolhouse just to kind of see what they think of it. Yeah, the skeptics, you know, believers, whatnot, and whenever they go on that side, that's of the of the building, they all get a, some sort of tight, ominous, foreboding kind of feeling. You know, it's it's not a coincidence. Um, perhaps something might have happened in the past. When I went back in October, like it was this time, it was my roommate, him, and my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. I saw this figure in the same area again. No one believed me that time, but I kept telling them there's there's someone over there, there's something over there in like the same area, that dark side of the schoolhouse. At the same building, this was on a different occasion. A boyfriend, four or five other guys, and this happened at night. So we decided to go explore the building. It's around maybe October of 2018, it's around Halloween. You know, we got one guy with a flashlight, we're on the line, and we're marching towards the building. And this is on the other side of the cornfields. And all of a sudden, we heard a loud crash. And we heard something just galloping towards us. So out of the five guys there, we all run off, you know, screaming. And I'm carrying the flashlights. So and I left that one guy and her boyfriend and Dirk. So he pulls out and, and, and you know, he's... He's, he's really, fearless. He just yeah. doesn't care about. And you know that he's been in the military and whatnot, so um, air cadets, right? Air cadets, yeah. So you know he has, he pulls out his knife and you know um, gets ready for a fight, right? He says he saw the corn stalks just move out of the way. So this was something on two legs, but it was impossibly fast to be a human being, and it was impossibly big. Because he saw like the corn stalks moving out of the way as this, whatever it was, was coming towards him. So you know we all go silent, and then we hear nothing. We had firecrackers on us on the time, so we threw some firecrackers into the cornfield. Yeah. Didn't notice anything after that, and then uh, uh, maybe ten minutes after. We hear like a, a bit of a shriek. And then nothing else after that. At that point, we left. Like an animal shriek? It, it sounded rather primal, yes. Now, the closest I could uh, find on like, you know, YouTube and whatnot is maybe a burn owl. But you know what we what was coming out of that cornfield was not a burn now. Not like was, a pig, maybe. No, no, it was very. Uh, it, it almost sounded human, mm-hmm. but at the same time very primal. We also uh, we got all this on video, you know the encounter, and we came, we started a second video of us exploring the inside of the building, and this was before any of this happened. And this video just so happens it catches us going into the building. The rest of the file gets corrupted, and it comes back again as soon as you leave the building. 
And this is not the first time it's happened. There was another time, it was a foggy night in late 2017, I was with another buddy. We had his dash cam on his car, we were driving around the schoolhouse. As soon as we drove in the vicinity of the schoolhouse, dash cam cuts out. As soon as you leave, comes back in. A cell phone signal, cell phones died, as you've experienced, I've experienced. Yeah, like, the, the whole area, like the whole street, you'll get signal, but as soon as you're in like the vicinity of the house... No signal. No signal. Huh. Once so some sort of, there's some sort of electrical disturbance, there's no power lines, there's no power in the building at all. It's just very strange about electrical phenomena. You know, I'm a car guy, uh, her boyfriend's also a car guy, so we drive these, you know, souped up cars and whatnot. <laughs> so, um, you know, essentially, you know, a car in the summertime, you know, the engine gets hot. Right? Yeah. So, you know, when you're going on highway, so we're, we're driving the school, the, the car's been on for quite a while. As soon as we're driving by the schoolhouse, the engine goes to full cold. Like ice oh, cold. Out, eh? And this is a, this is a, a, a souped up race car. <laughs> you know, I'm a mechanic, her, her boyfriend's a mechanic, and we cannot figure out how this is remotely possible. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But there is something definitely in regards to school, that's quite off, and it has, you know, effects on, uh, you know, objects and machines and electrical devices. There's no sort of animal sounds there. There's no, as soon as you enter the property, there's no crickets, there's no birds. In any point in the day. You don't have, did you ever do an EMF on your phone? We did. We did the time Brandon went inside the building. Again, he went inside the building, Recording cuts out. As soon as he walks out, recording starts back up again. Like you can definitely hear the silence. When like I think it was last week, we were driving nearby a schoolhouse, and we turned off the car and opened the windows, and there was just silence. Like yeah. there was. And this is like you know in the daytime. Mm-hmm. So I had to explain that I don't know. Uh, what I do know about the history of the building. This um used to be, this is the ghost town of Altona. The government expropriated all that land back in the 1960s to build an airport. That never happened. Huh. Um, so uh, a lot of these families were taken out by force. They were not given compensation for the family homesteads and lands and whatnot. And that's why today we have laws, you know, if the government forces you out, they have to give you fair market value and whatnot. So, you know, obviously the area has a history of, you know, um, you know despair and pain. People were forced out of their, their homes and evidently uh, the schoolhouse as well. If you go in the building, there's old bills from the 60s and 70s that show that whoever wasn't here was in a lot of debt as well. You know, when you say, you know, you think that someone might have uh, committed suicide on the property, you know. It's it, very possible. Yeah. It could be older history than that, too. Yeah. Well, the building was built in 1864. And, you know, we all know that, you know, kids uh, in back in the day were abused at these schools as well, especially those of, uh, um, you know, Aboriginal or, um, origins. Oh, yeah. these were Catholic schools there? Uh, it was a Catholic school, I believe. Uh, I, uh, there was one class picture I have from 1909 at the schoolhouse, and there were definitely some, uh, you know, Aboriginal oh, sure, yeah. kids here that don't look quite happy. So we suspect that this was a residential school at some yeah. point in time. That did not follow. What would be standard yeah, today? Yeah. Well, that was pretty much everything back then, right? Yeah, so. basically. Yeah. Now I know it will sound pretty cool to hear about exploring and haunted buildings. But remember that abandoned buildings can be dangerous, 
They're often abandoned for good reason, and I'm not recommending anyone go out and start exploring buildings. Also, definitely never on someone's property. And even if you get permission to explore and investigate a property, you should be extremely polite and respectful of the living and the deceased. I don't want to just encourage people to start ghost hunting willy-nilly and ultimately giving a bad reputation to the kind of scientific investigations that Peter and the Vancouver Paranormal Society conduct. So that said, here is more of my conversation with Peter where he talks about the hidden relation between paranormal reports and the shifting tectonic plates. About seven years ago, we had an earthquake over in Victoria Island. That caused a ripple effect. I was in New, New Westminster, like, uh, you, do you know Victoria? There was an earthquake over Vancouver Island, and uh, basically the ripple effects came all the way over to the lower mainland. Um, I was actually working in New Westminster at that time. We felt the vibrations. I actually was in a restaurant. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon. Then all of a sudden, BPS just got hammered with cases, like to a point where we are sending a team. Back then, I had a team of about six people. We we were like giving cases away because there was just so much activity going on down there, and that lasted about two years. Every day, I'd go to my email account, there'd be like one or two cases on there, and it's just crazy, like the amount of people that came forward. We have a data log. And obviously we have archives as well of the places we've visited over the years. On our data log, there's actually a kind of rough, plotted map of BC. And it's got little dots on there that has the most activity. But I think it's still predominantly the area with the most activity is Surrey and BC. Is there any correlation between like seismic faults and the paranormal reporting? I believe so. I, in fact, the, the evidence was there for us that there was something predominantly involved with an increase of paranormal activity when that earthquake happened. Whether it was because it was rupture on the plates, the earth plates, or whatever reason it was, or whether the memory of the minerals in the land got erupted, causing, you know, just an outburst of energy, I don't know, but it was the proof was there for us. So... It could be a combination of a natural phenomena with a kind of a as yet unknown other phenomena what we call paranormal, but some kind of unknown. Yeah. yeah. That's a really interesting yeah. theory. And you could test this looking around the world at places like especially with West Coast of United States. I mean, energy, it's, it's a scientific fact as well. Energy just doesn't dismiss. It doesn't go away. The first law of thermodynamics, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, my theory being is when we pass pass away, that energy just doesn't just disappear. It can't disappear. That kind of thing, and that's where you get the kind of residual side of what we're investigating. You know, that that, that memory, that stamp of it, keep planning, playing over and over and over again. Whether they like it or not, uh, there's a lot of science involved with it. That's what I feel. And uh, but unfortunately, science chooses to exclude our field from recognition. 
it's always good to have a healthy skepticism. Of all the unexplained experiences I've had in my life, none has stood out more and influenced my approach more than my UFO close encounters a few years back. I spoke about those in the UFO episodes last season. I'm always looking for more stories from Canadians about their UFO experiences, but in so doing, I really have to note that the majority of people who tell me they've seen something unidentified, when questioned, reveal that what they saw is actually something normal, a drone or a helicopter or a satellite. When something behaves in a really impossible sounding way, I get interested, and I'd love to hear your story if you have one to share on a future episode. Send your stories by getting in touch. You can go to www.supernaturalstories.ca, which redirects you to the Facebook page where you can send a message that way, or you can email to supernaturalstoriescanada at gmail.com. That's all one word, supernaturalstoriescanada at gmail.com. The final story is an example of one of the times I was sent a story, but my healthy skepticism and a knowledge around the topic helped me to probably debunk this one. I spoke to Tamara over the phone from Toronto. Have you ever seen a UFO? Yes, actually I have. I have. I remember I was driving... It was close to Victoria Day, so I was driving with my ex-husband, and we saw a bright burning light kind of hovering in the sky, and we were like, oh, maybe somebody's lighting off fireworks near Victoria Day, but the light was moving very directly and very slowly above us, and in the middle of the light, it was darker red, and it kind of like burnt outwards into an amber and then a yellow. And it was moving right above us, and we both stopped the car, and we stood out the sunroof, and we were staring at it, and it looked like it was very high up. As soon as it got directly above us, it suddenly made a 90-degree turn and kind of went faster in the other direction. Then we went around telling everyone that we saw a UFO, and nobody believed us. Did anyone ask you whether it could have been a Chinese lantern? No. Oh, Chinese lanterns are... They're lanterns that you light them, and then they float up from the heat? and they fly in the sky and sometimes people will report them as UFOs from like a distance. I'm pretty sure they're illegal because they yeah. they, they they float around on fire and then they can fall and cause forest fires and things like that. Oh yeah. So you don't sure. see them too often. That would be the only thing that that could maybe be similar yeah, to. Maybe. Because sometimes if they're floating higher, they can suddenly float to a stream of air. And so yeah. they can change directions as they go up? Yeah, it, it very well could have been. It was just the the degree, the, the degree on which it turned that we were like, that was so weird. Um, but it was moving quite slowly. Yeah, so it could have been a floating object for sure. Chinese lanterns, like hot air balloons, rise because they are warmer than the air that surrounds them. On a calm night, they might float slowly with the wind. As they rise, it's hard for us to realize on the ground, but the air forms pockets and layers like a messy lasagna, and the lantern enters these layers and is carried by the wind. Sometimes, the wind is going in opposite or near opposite directions. Being on the ground, it's hard for us to tell how high it is, and when it suddenly changes direction from hitting a fast stream of wind up there, 
it might look just like if a craft had done a 180-degree turn. It's a very common cause of UFO reportings, along with the newer iteration, the drone craft. As more and more drones fly, especially those with lights, which are pretty much designed to cause attention, more and more people will believe they've seen UFOs without knowing who's flying the drone. UFO researchers have long known that about 97% of all reported UFO sightings are explained easily with this kind of explanation of a known object. About 2% then get explained through some kind of means. They are in fact swamp gases after all. But 1% always remain unexplained. With many paranormal phenomena, it is the same. That's why there are dedicated researchers who put in the time and try to get to the bottom of it, like Peter Wren. But anyone who does enough time in researching the paranormal will find it hard to dismiss the reality of those true experiences or to find themselves having those experiences themselves and being unable to brush them off. You'll hear more true stories from Peter in an upcoming episode about his own experiences in other haunted houses, or you can go back and listen to the Haunted Theaters episode. I wanted to make this episode and show that even if it seems like I'm a cheerleader for the paranormal or the occult, I very much welcome the scientific approach when it is appropriate. But sometimes there is no scientific data. And yet why use that as a reason to dismiss stories? Anecdotes like those shared in this show may never be confirmed, but they will never be disproven. Music featured in this show is by Free Piece of Tape with Burning School, Cryonoscopy with Dark Path, Jared C. Bala with Subtle Resonance, and Tres Tristes Tangos with Ojos Negros. The rest were original tracks. Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories, and thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting a place for the supernatural in Canada. Please leave a review on iTunes or Google or Facebook if you liked the show. I appreciate it, and it helps. Get in touch with your true story at www.supernaturalstories.ca. If you'd like to contribute a dollar per month or more to this independent podcast, go to patreon.com slash supernaturalstories. Till next time.